May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Good evening and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino. We're here to break down USC's 43-41 win over Arizona and triple overtime. It was a great college football game, but I think Trojan fans probably are done watching those good college football games and they want to see the Trojans beat up on some opponents, but I'm not sure we're going to get that That's this far in the season. USC does improve to 6-0, but another close win. Now we're going into the hard part of the schedule and we'll see what the rest of the season holds. If you guys have thoughts, you can leave them in the comment section wherever you're watching Facebook or YouTube we'll pull those comments up here on the show and if you have questions and we're sure you do you can call into the show 5124 tunnel and we'll get to those live callers at the end but guys it's another game where USC looks like they you know could win by a bigger amount at some point but at, it's kind of just a close finish at the end this time it was a little bit different because they were down 17 nothing what was your biggest takeaway and do you think the Trojans can continue to sustain wins like this going into the hard part of the schedule yeah and one thing USC fans they got something different this wasn't the same old same old build a big lead blow it. a lot of people were talking about oh bet usc in the first half you didn't want to do that in this one um like jack said 17 nothing to start usc uh not getting an offensive first down outside of a penalty on the first three drives nine plays total that's not good uh no points arizona scoring on their first three drives uh, that's not good. 17 nothing after having never trailed all season. The only team at FBS that had never trailed and then was trailing most of the time. And that became, you know, you're thinking about trying to get a victory that's resounding. Something that's going to make you feel good because it's the halfway point of the season. And it gets a lot tougher from here on out. A lot of tough games. Notre Dame up next, obviously. So you wanted to get, it was like a get-right game. You want to feel good about this. Even though Arizona played uh, Washington well, uh, held Michael Penix without a touchdown throw. So you felt like everything was set up for this. And man, it was couldn't be anything further from the truth. When USC took that 28-20 lead in the early of the fourth quarter, you're like, okay, maybe they could like get a stop, score a touchdown, get you know, and like actually win by a few scores. No, that wasn't going to be the case. I, I, would, I tweeted out, I'm like, you, uh, Arizona's going to get Either they're going to turn the ball over or they're going to score and get a two-point conversion. And they that's what they did. They got a two-point conversion. USC botches the field goal. Triple overtime, madness. Arizona scores on their very first play in triple overtime. Caleb Williams, all the magic with his legs. It was uh, it was definitely a different kind of game. And you want to be 6-0 for sure, but you would like to feel a little bit better going into the meaty part of your schedule. And I know a lot of USC fans out there, Chris, uh, do not feel that good. No, they don't feel good. And that's also 
probably because they went to bed at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Yes. Uh, a lot of us got home late. I keep looking at this game, and I never want to say a team didn't deserve the win because if you are scrapping and you're not rolling over and you're fighting and you're clawing and you're doing all those things, you're making plays, you're finding ways to win, you deserve to win the game. At the end of the, at the scoreboard, you have more points than the other, other team, especially if you come back, you deserve to win. But I look at the stats of this game and I really don't know how USC won. Yeah. This was, Arizona was the better team. Let's, let's call it what it is. Obviously, Arizona made mistakes, but they played really well and USC did not play well. And yet somehow they found a way to win. I think it's because obviously they have the best player in college football. Yeah, right here, palm of my hand. He put the team on the offense on his back. The, everything all night for USC, especially on offense, was hard. Like they could not get anything easy. Talk about that that final kind of touchdown drive. I think it was the uh, the Marshawn Lloyd one. They took like five plays to score from. First and goal at the one. Yeah. It took so long. It Everything, was a touchdown that they said there wasn't a touchdown. Right? Yeah. Every, nothing came easy for them, but they still found a way. And I know we're going to talk about the defense. I know we're going to talk about how bad the offense looked early on. I'm not really kind of worried about the offense. You know, Lincoln Riley will get that right. You know, I know it's um, concerning just to come out with that uh, start to uh, in the Coliseum, you know, come off to tough road games you're expecting to come out and look a little more focused, look a little more clean. Wasn't the case. So, I mean, the offense is the offense. Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams. It was not an easy night, but they found a way to get it done. The defense we'll talk about, but yeah, this was just a game you felt that USC had no business winning. But no. but in the end, you know, they make the play. They make a couple plays down the stretch. Even after one of the biggest debacles on a what should have been a chip shot win, they had a 99, 92.2% chance of winning that based on the ESPN win probability at that moment after Marshawn Loin run it to the six-yard line. So you're like, how, how are we talking about a win right now? <laughs> we should be talking about how Arizona stole this one in overtime because they went for two, which uh, Jedfish should have done. He should have gone for two with the momentum on their side. I don't know how we're talking about a win, but hey, that's college football. They found a way to win. They have Caleb Williams, the best player in the, in the, in the country. USC, 6-0. and I mean, enjoy the win, but also, yes, a ton of problems we're going to talk about right now. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like USC is the team that stole the win. I mean, 17 yeah. nothing the lead for Arizona. They played better, it seemed like, in all three facets, offense, defense, and special teams, with USC having that big debacle. Um, I think the only like good special teams play was from USC's punting, but the offense didn't get things started very well. They, they got bailed out a lot by Arizona's penalties, which maybe are the only difference when you're looking at the stat sheet. It's the penalties that allowed USC to win because Arizona committed 12. Eight of them allowed first downs for the USC offense, which, it, you know, it took them forever to get their first offensive first down that didn't come from a penalty. So I, I would say I felt like USC ended up st stole, stealing that win at home from Arizona, which is not what you want when your team is on the road for two weeks. You're finally coming back to the Coliseum where you haven't lost under Lincoln Riley. You feel like, okay, this is when they get back, they get right before going to Notre Dame. And they, they were the worst team on their own home field. They didn't have the edge that Arizona had coming out. But in the end, Caleb Williams was inevitable. Three rushing touchdowns, that crazy two-point conversion score with the offensive line shifted all the way out to the left. I know we take some time to talk about Caleb Williams on this show. Sometimes it takes us too long to, to get to his brilliance because we expect it every week, but this is a game that we saw him struggle mightily really for the first time this year had a little bit of ups and downs uh late in the game against colorado a little bit early in the game against arizona state this one he was bad for a half and then just turned it on and by the end he was unstoppable lincoln riley left the ball in his hands he ended up winning them the game yeah like if you're we're talking about caleb 
Um, Hold and, on, let me put a tiny crown on him. You know, but yeah, it was, he likes doing all that stuff. Um, probably his worst passing game at USC. Like, if you look at the Oregon State game last year, maybe, but I, I'd have to compare the stats and look at it. But it just wasn't very good. But he still has the – there's this will to win. There's He wants it. That, you know, we, I was watching, like, the Philadelphia Eagles and the, the tush push and all that. They just do that really well. And Jalen Hurts and – they're great. That Caleb Williams didn't have that. He went, got in on his own. There wasn't anyone pushing him. He turns, you know, reaches for the goal line. Like he was doing things to that you just. It's like okay, I'm going to be Superman. I'm going to take this team and put it on my back. And okay, I'm going to take off and run. And I'm going to pick up yards that way. I'm not getting my easy connections. There's not guys sitting open in a zone somewhere. So I'm going to take off and run. The two-point conversion, I don't know. That's a, one of the weirder calls I've ever seen. You want to see that. All the offensive linemen and everybody on one side, and he's going to the other. Basically, it's like, just beat three guys on your own. And if you could do that, then we'll score. And they did. It looked like from the press box he had stepped out of bounds, and he he got in there. Um, and if you don't get that one, you're probably losing the game. There's just so many things that could have happened that USC would have lost the game. But it was – Literally the Caleb Williams show. So the off games, like two games ago, uh, you know, he had five touchdowns. It was like, oh, he wasn't that good. This game, you know, one of his worst statistically. He still had a couple of Heisman moments. He, sco he scores three rushing touchdowns. Uh, that one pass to Kyron Hudson where he's running around all over the place. It's, uh, it's, you know, he's definitely not hurting himself as far as like, if you want to talk about MVP, if you want to talk about how valuable a player is, I don't know if anyone is more valuable uh, to a team than Caleb Williams. And some of that's his greatness and some of it's just, there's so many other shortcomings that I think a lot of us didn't anticipate or they're just, I don't know if they're just watching him or whatever it is, but it's, it's you can feel it how much that this team needs Caleb Williams. And that's a bit of an issue. And I know people are like, oh, now they're going to lose all the rest of their games. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Like he can win you those ones against Arizona, but he can do it against Notre Dame and Oregon and stuff too. Um, it's going to be tough to win them all the way they're playing, but you have a puncher's chance in every single one of them because you have number 13. Yeah, very well said. You go into any stadium, home, away, doesn't matter, neutral site, you have a chance when you have Caleb Williams on your sideline because that's the kind of player that he is. You know, we've seen good college quarterbacks, good NFL quarterbacks who put up good stats and all that. But when their teams get punched in the mouth and things are going horribly for them, it's the great ones that find a way to get the job done. You said it perfectly. That will to win. Caleb Williams is one of those great ones because of his will to win. Nothing was working. As we mentioned, nothing <laughs> was going easy. The offense had like two broken legs and they're dragging themselves up the field. And Caleb Williams, you know, he said, I don't like to run a lot, but I had to do what I had to do to win this game. And you just that 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 just touchdown run you described where he is tackled short and he like spins and just wills his way through the defender and barely gets it over the the line that epitomized that night for for the offense and for him just I'm going to do everything I can to get the ball across this goal line and score and put put my team in the end zone and that's what happened again wasn't the best night for him passing the ball does not matter USC got the win that's what he cares about most. Yes, he he still scored, you know, four times the the two point conversion, which I have seen before. Uh, shout out to Millican High School. I saw them uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, 
And they ran that play every time they scored in the first half. They would <laughs> send all the offensive linemen out, have the center with the QB, put some skill guys over here, and they would run that two-point conversion every time. They got it like three times in a row. So, huh? and, and even in that play, Lincoln Riley pointed out, they had two receivers trip over themselves. It's supposed <laughs> to be the option to run or throw. And even they couldn't even do that right, so it was like, Caleb Williams, all right, I have to do it myself. Little hesitation. <laughs> get it in. Doesn't matter. Get it in. Score the point. No flag. Touchdown. Or, excuse me, two-point conversion. Basically a touchdown, whatever. But, yeah, he put the team on his back. Caleb Williams, Superman. And I just want the fans – I know you're really frustrated, and it wasn't a satisfactory win. It was an emotional win. But just appreciate that you have this guy playing this season and – all the all the plays that he's making and just you, you just remember what number 13 does because obviously he's a special player and you're probably not going to get another season of him you're probably yeah. not so let's be honest just enjoy them enjoy these plays enjoy these moments good advice yeah there you go yeah be be grateful that you have Caleb Williams because I think without with you know an average quarterback or you know whatever other quarterback Lincoln Riley brings in next this team is 500 they're maybe a little better than 500 like maybe you're at sitting at four and two which is where Notre Dame is right now USC's next opponent so yeah six and oh I know that the last couple wins have not been satisfactory for USC fans in the way that they want them to win but at least for Trojan fans it is a win you're not sitting at four and two coming off a loss to Louisville and a tough loss to Ohio State so I think USC fans need to pump the brakes a little bit it was kind of a witching hour in college football this week with six of the 22 unbeaten teams losing. You also got that Notre Dame upset at the hands of Louisville. So could be worse. Then again, it was pretty bad at certain points during the game. And we're talking about Caleb Williams a lot. Lincoln Riley said it kind of point blank in the press conference yesterday. He believes the defense won them the game. And while I definitely would agree that they don't win the game without the defense, which is the way Caleb Williams put it, because they stood strong, down 17 nothing. They get the interception by Jacoby Covington to set up USC's offense with a short field when they needed it most. They got the last stop in overtime. And I think they had a stretch of plays in there, you know, second quarter, early third quarter where they played pretty well. It was also another frustrating day for the defense where there's just gaffes, blown coverages, 17 missed tackles, which ties the most they've had in a game this season. Some horrible play calls that we can get into later. Um, and, and just some frustration again, where you allow 41 points to an Arizona team uh, with a second a quarterback making his second career start. He dueled Caleb Williams. Noah Fafita looked just as good as Caleb Williams. And it kind of feels like USC's defense now is getting that track record of making the opposing quarterback look just as good as their Heisman winner on the other side. Yeah, the, one of the disturbing things about the defenses, it seems every week somebody is hitting their high water mark. If it's um, the freshman Colorado receiver, uh, Amarian Miller, never catching a pass and getting almost 200 yards in the second half. Like, oh, that didn't happen before. Jacob Cowling, who's a great receiver, uh, he passed 4,000 career receiving yards in this game. He never had four touchdowns in a game. He does in this one. It just seems like the defense is giving up things that they're like records or they just haven't happened before for a player. It's a, a player's career high or a team's career high. It's just every week, uh, even about, you know, when you're playing like San Jose State who ran you know the ball really well, it seems like that's happening all the time. It's certainly concerning. I agree with Lincoln Riley. Like this was, there were some good defensive efforts in this one. And for the people that are saying oh, it's not as good as last year's, I mean, the defense is as bad as last year. I don't think it's as bad as last year. There's, 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 I, I don't agree with Lincoln Riley. I think there's a lot of similarities. But that Jacoby Covington interception was huge. I don't think you win the game without that. And when it was 17 nothing, 
I'll give the defense credit as they stepped up then and started getting some stops. Second half, it was limited. There weren't that many drives, but you only forced Arizona to punt once. And I think that was a problem. They had a you know touchdown, field goal, another field goal attempt. It was a long attempt, but still it was a 40-something yard drive. Um, I wanted to see, and I put this in my three keys, I wanted to see the defense get second-half stops. Like Colorado scored touchdowns on four of their last five. Now, Arizona didn't do that. They scored touchdowns in their last two overtime ones, but they, you know, only only one punt in the second half. So I wanted to see that. But I will give the defense credit when it was 17-0 and you just needed stops, like Caleb Williams can't score twice on a drive, they got some then and, like, gave you the ability to make it 17-14 at the half, but it's uh, they do some stuff well, but man, there's so many concerns. There's questions about the player rotation and how things going on. I think RJ did a story today where Arizona averaged 8.3 yards per play on first down, which is absolutely insane. Uh, converting on eight of 16 third downs, like you can't allow that. You can't allow a team to have 50% completion, you know, uh, conversion rate. Just a lot of concerns. And it seems like they might be a little bit different every week, but there's just concerns over and over and over again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they did what they needed to do to win this game, but it was just barely – it was barely enough. They could have done more in the second half, and it could have been, like, USC who starts scoring and you separate yourself. But that didn't happen, and uh, it was kind of like the same old, same old we saw from the defense. I acknowledge that. You know, maybe like 90% of the USC fans are upset. You know, they're in the chat right now probably saying, fire Alex Grinch, the defense sucks. Look, all that, you know, I, 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 I acknowledge that you're upset because you're right. The defense did not play well. You look at the stats, it's the same issues that have been uh, prevalent the last three games, the missed tackles, the big plays. But I do agree with your agreement and Lincoln Riley that the defense won them this game because Jacoby Lane, Jacoby Lane, Jacoby uh, Covington doesn't make that interception. Arizona goes down and scores. Let's say they score the touchdown, 24 nothing. I don't think it's done. It, it's done, Yeah, which is crazy to say in the first half, but you you break them, and then the USC's offense had punted three times, and then their only spark, that big Brendan Rice touchdown or uh, play, was wiped off with the fumble. Yeah, They fumble the ball. And you're just, next play. you're you're demoralized. You're demoralized at that point. They needed someone to step up, and it was Jacoby Covington, and it was the defense, and they gave them some semblance of life. And let's go back to the fourth quarter uh, with USC has to punt the ball, giving Arizona the ball at with 622 left in the game. Tie game. I tweeted it out. I don't think USC is winning this unless the defense gets a turnover. If you were in that stance, did you feel confident about USC's defense stopping Arizona? And what felt like they were just going to drain the clock until they got into field goal position and then kick a game-winning field goal to end this thing? That's how we all felt, right? I mean, that's that they, what they did. They just missed the field goal. They just missed the field goal. But <laughs> but credit to USC's defense to actually stepping up because they uh, the defense allowed a 15-yard play, a 9-yard play, uh, all these big plays to move, the, move them down the field. And then at some random point, they decided to stop them yeah. and then force a very long field goal. You know, Tyler Loop is a good kicker. 50 yards, though, 50 yards in, in college. Yeah. Hooks it left. They stopped them. They they made it super difficult. They didn't give them a 25-yard field goal or a 35-yard field goal. They made them attempt a 50-yard field goal. And then USC should have won at that point. They should have been able to get down the field, convert a 25-yard field goal. And obviously, we had to go through the whole triple overtime hoopla. Probably could have gone to bed 
an hour and a half earlier yes. when all said and done. And then Mason Cobb makes the tackle for a loss. I think that was a bad play call by Jed Fish in that moment. To call that, I would have thrown the ball, man. They they could not stop any of your your weapons. Uh, so I don't know why you're, you're doing that pitch play. But credit to Mason Cobb, who kind of said, you know, I just kind of did my own thing. I split the thing and made the tackle. Uh, I want to say Profit Bound was also in the vicinity, so he could have also been here on that play. But, yeah, Mason Cobb makes the play, ends the game right there. And I think when Lincoln Riley and them are saying that about we don't win without defense, it's because they're looking at these specific plays within the course of a game. You're looking at fragments because sometimes football games come down to certain plays throughout the throughout the game, you know, but we as U.S. fans and then we as media look at it like this whole put-together thing. And sometimes I don't think they look at it like that. They just think look at it like these small fragments and plays that, that stand out and end up deciding the game, like, you know, the Mason Cobb tackle for a loss or Jacoby Covington uh, interception. But, you know, you have to look at the whole picture. And I think both sides are right. The defense is struggling the defense is going to cost them a game but also i think we call to say that yeah the defense made the plays necessary for them to walk out of there with a win and keep them alive to make a win yeah i think if you want to compare last year and then people are like oh it's, it's just as bad as last year last year's defense probably gets that interception like the jacoby covington one they don't force the long field goal that that once the momentum is going on that drive you're either getting, you know, certainly into the red zone, probably for a touchdown. And USC's defense done that like a lot this year too, where they just, you know, they give up that red zone, they get into the red zone. There's a big play, and you have a chance to get a stop and, and force a field goal, and they just allow even a defensive penalty. I think Tackett Curtis had another one. Um, I think it was on him that, that like, yeah. you know, it looked like it was going to be a third down, and you extend the the drive with stuff like that. USC's defense has not been great at that, but get. I think you need. The thing that'd be better than last year is you got to get a few key stops. The interception in the first half would happen last year. The stop at the end where this is the to go win the game for Arizona, forcing the long field goal, that wasn't happening last year. So I'll give them credit for that. I mean, it wasn't you still give up 41 yards or whatever on that drive, but you would like to do, you know, a little bit more than that, but it was better. And you give your chance, you know, give yourself a chance with a long field goal as opposed to just like, oh, uh, once you cross the thirty, okay, you're going to go in and score. So I, I would, I would say that's a difference from last year to this year. But also, last year's defense was also forcing more turnovers, so it definitely helped them not break a little bit when they would bend a lot last year. So they were getting turnovers at a, at a crazy rate, which we knew there was going to be regression. I think that's also playing into why this defense is just also giving up more scores. You know, they're better in some aspects, but not getting as many turnovers last year is sort of uh, revealing more issues. Yeah. yeah. They also, they did force two red zone field goals. There was, you know, it got was 17 nothing instead of 21 nothing for a reason because they got one early in the game. They also got one to start the, the first half, or the second half, rather. I thought Jed Fish might have tried to go for that one, too, when they had it uh, in an and goal situation near the goal line on fourth down, but they decided to kick a field goal. So those are two stops that you look at, as well as that late, uh, late game field goal stop but also there were some individual plays where you're like that just shows that you know that the personnel is better and everything like that and I'm going to indulge USC fans for a second get a little technical Arizona scored three regulation touchdowns the first one uh came on a play where Alex Grinch dropped into cover one with man-on-man coverage and you've got Mason Cobb carrying Jacob Cowing all the way down the middle there's no safety help over the top so you're trusting a linebacker on one of the best 
wide receivers in the conference. That's a wide open score. The second one is when the, uh, the tight end scored at the pylon and the two defenders in the area were Jamil Muhammad, an edge rusher who's great at rushing the passer, not so great in coverage in the flat. And then you've got Christian Roland Wallace playing almost as a safety as the deep zone. McLaughlin, the tight end, was right in between them. And then the one that I think USC fans are most upset about when they were Trojans were leading 28 to 20. They get three big stops on first, second, and third down from basically the one yard line after Kalen Bullock uh, stood up the runner to force that situation instead of just letting him go right in the end zone. USC has 10 guys on the field defensively. They call a timeout. So you're coming out of the tight end, or coming out of the timeout rather, fourth and goal from I think it was the two or three yard line. You've got any pick of the defense. You know the personnel that's going to be out there for Arizona. You get to pick any defense you want. And it's a touchdown because Jacob Cowing is in one-on-one man coverage with Bryson Shaw, who has really struggled these past couple weeks in coverage. He's not a cover corner. Uh, He's struggled. He's probably USC's worst coverage safety right now, especially in one-on-one man situations. But USC goes all out blitz. They have manned up Bryson Shaw on Jacob Cowing. And that just personally to me seems like a misuse of the personnel because Cowing had beat them already. He ends up with four touchdowns on the day. There were two good wide receivers all day, McMillan and Cowing for Arizona. And somehow coming out of a timeout where you've got any choice of the defense you want to put out there, you end up with Shaw one-on-one on Cowing. It just doesn't seem like a situation where when you've got the choice of whatever you want to do, that is the right choice to make. And, and to be completely honest, as a coaching staff and you know for Alex Grinch, I don't know how they came to that conclusion. And I would say, too, I mean, there were really only two guys that were targeted for wide receivers for Arizona. Like, those guys got everything. All the, tar- all the balls were going their way. If you got T-Mac and Cowing, and you, you got to cover them. And you can't do it with a safety. I mean, you have to really focus on, all right, we're going to make someone else beat us at that point. Uh, to allow that to happen over and over again is a little concerning. I mean, that was the first play of the game. T-Mac gets like a 30-yard pass. And you're like, okay, this could be, <laughs> this could be trouble. Uh, it's going to be a long night. Noah Fafita, it's going to be yeah. a long night. It was a long night. But when there's only two guys catching passes, you got to be able to do something to slow that down. It's not like... The third or fourth guy, you're not sure who's getting them. Like, you know who's getting these these balls, and they still weren't able to stop. Speaking of over and over, that two-point conversion was essentially the same route they ran to get the two-point right after the cowing, and then yeah. just went to McMillan. So it was like back-to-back, back, same, same exact thing. So people were shouting at the bench, it's the same play. <laughs> like, they're just, like, screaming their frustrations at uh, Alex Grinch and the, and the uh, defensive coaches. Yeah, I think it just it was more painful on the side too because of the way it it happened on fourth down and then the two point conversion happened where there was a first down that that set up the and goal situation but it only ended up being, you know, a first and goal situation because Kalen Bullock, who we have, you know, last season criticized a little bit for, for tackling and, and obviously grew a bunch over the offseason. He stood up a very powerful running back at the one yard line. Then USC gets three straight stops. They move Arizona backwards, actually, instead of just giving up that one yard. And then Arizona drops back to pass and it ends up as the touchdown. Like, I feel like it hurts a little bit more for Trojan fans because you see the potential that's there. They almost get that stop. They take a timeout. They've got any choice for what they want on defense and then it just happens to be given up and and on that fourth down play it was relatively easy where USC gets pressure uh, but Shaw just couldn't hold coverage on Cowing and then they go back to the exact same play and that's where you know I think you look at, at, at it just hurts a little bit more because of the way it happened yeah Muhammad was right in his face and it was it was really quick and you're like but the play was I mean he was open that fast like you couldn't even cover him for one second like there was <laughs> like you didn't cover the guy for a second because Muhammad was in Fafita's face as fast as you could be in there, and he still got the ball away, and Cowing's still wide open, and that that kind of stuff is frustrating. Where it's like you're when you saw there, there was like a third and one play, and you know USC's like 
10 yards off and, you know, just dump it off to your wide receiver and run. It's, it, some of the stuff just didn't make sense. You're like, you, you got to try to stop it. It's like a short yardage play. Why is everyone backing off 10 yards? You make it a really easy pitch and catch. So a lot of frustrating stuff uh, for the defense, but... And hey, we've got to talk about some frustrating stuff for the offense as well. Clearly not their cleanest game. They they went three straight punts to open the game. Uh, then they get the big play and then the fumble. We were looking this week to how's the offensive line going to play after they used, in their own words, said they were physically beat against Colorado. I'd say they looked physically beat again. They had some plays where they kind of rallied up. They got some rushing yards. Caleb Williams helped out in the rushing game, but they were allowing too much pressure to three and four man defensive fronts on Caleb, gave up four sacks, and they didn't get a ton a push in the run game, especially when there were seven to eight DBs in the defensive backfield. When you've got the lighter defensive lines at USC with this offensive line that's supposed to be experienced, supposed to be talented, you have to go out there and just beat the lesser guys that are in front of you. And they didn't do that against Colorado. We were looking for that against Arizona and it didn't really happen. Do you guys see the offensive line as a concern going forward? Yeah, I would say it's a concern. I mean, this is Johnny Nansen running this defense. You know, he's more known as a recruiter. Damn. <laughs> yes, he is. Like, I almost I, tweeted uh, John Nansen, the greatest defensive coordinator in college football. Uh, yeah, but he. I mean, it's not a fluke. They added a lot of guys from the portal. Um, they've come together well. They played really good against Washington last week, so you know it was a legit defense. But this was that was at home. This is on the road. It's one of those things where if they're dropping eight, you can't give up a sack. You know, like you can't let three or maybe sometimes four defensive linemen get as much pressure on Caleb Williams as you did. And I know the people are like, run the ball, run the ball. Well, they just weren't as effective running the ball. And it, you know, and is it weird sometimes the way they do it? There was a couple, they think they ran it three times in a row, like big play, big play, negative play. Um, but, you know, sometimes it was like incomplete pass, then run on second down, you only get two yards and now you're like third and eight and then you're punting. Um, it just, the, the flow wasn't there, but they weren't getting the push. And I think, you know, we've seen Lincoln Riley. I don't know if it's reluctant to run the ball sometimes. I think a lot of it's too is Caleb Williams. He's got options. Um, you know, there's a lot of RPOs being called. I think he can do a lot of stuff. And if he doesn't have confidence that the the offensive line is going to be blocking for a running play, um, he's probably going to keep the ball and, and do something with it himself. So I'd like to see him probably call more just kind of set run plays where there's not like an option. But they weren't getting that initial push a lot of times. Like Caleb Williams got some chunk runs. They got some better runs later on. But there was just a lot of just ineffective runs. And then um, and they weren't really passing the ball well either. So sometimes when Caleb's just on, uh, was it like third and 20 in the uh, the opening drive for Colorado, right? And you're like, ah, you can still pick that up. You didn't have the confidence that you were going to pick up a third and 20 in this one. So, yeah, I just didn't think the offensive line played that well. There's a few penalties from the line. Uh, they weren't protecting Caleb, which is the number one thing. They weren't getting a, a good push for consistent run game. So I, I think it was a, a bit of a problem. I definitely would say the offensive line feels like a concern or at least something we should monitor. I know we uh, we wrote about it in the war room, like going to the season, that there was some talk out of you know training camp and, and stuff like, hey, the offensive line may not be gelling as quickly as we we thought they would you know they're still trying to get that that uh, unit down and obviously they got they got banged up with some injuries with losing Gino Quinones and you know Alani No was starting as a fresh or the first game and then Kingston wasn't starting and then Emmanuel Pregnon was was not starting there's just a lot of incohesion and they were still trying to figure it out which tells me you know 
they didn't have their guys set early. You know, they were still – no one was really standing out outside of, you know, obviously you have an experienced uh, lineman and Justin Dietrich taking over the center role. And then you have like an, a top uh, Pac-12 guy in Jonah Monheim kicking to, to left tackle. But outside of them, they were still trying to figure out where these – where these uh, spots fit, where these guys fit in, you know, I think they're still working on that. But also, I think, you know, I think the line isn't perform. It's not. It's not performing what we thought they would be. We thought this yeah. was going to be a all star, all Pac twelve. What is it? The Joe Moore Award uh, caliber team or caliber offensive line, but it's just not there. You know, you lose two All Americans from last season. You know, let's let's not forget that with Andrew Warhees and then Brett Nealon. It's natural to take a step back, but you know these guys they brought in were were heralded guys. A lot of people wanted Emmanuel Pregnant. Ohio State really wanted Jared Kingston. Uh, you know these guys were sought out dudes in the portal, highly valued offensive linemen in the portal, and you know you're still waiting for that that unit to come together and click. So yeah, I I do think we have to keep an eye on that. Obviously, we know injuries are, are an issue there or the potential for injuries and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a little bit uh, along the offensive line but yeah I think I just think they're you know Justin Dietrich mentioned this week of practice that he noticed that Arizona was more physical than they were last year and you know they got a big taste of that uh, in this one yep yeah, and I felt like another thing that we've got to talk about is the wide receiver room. We were expecting Arizona, like they did against Washington, to drop maybe seven or eight guys in zone coverage. It looked like Arizona was using a lot more man coverage, which normally USC's wide receiver room kind of eats up. They're able to get open, um, and maybe it was just the fact that they didn't have enough time. Maybe it was the fact that USC couldn't run the ball very well, so the passing game struggled. But this felt like the kind of the one game we've seen so far this season where the wide receiver room wasn't getting much separation. They were without Zachariah Branch again, but just felt like clearly their worst game as a group we only had five wide receivers making catches there was a lot of them where even though they caught the ball it just didn't look as easy as it normally does rarely was anyone wide open um, and it just the, the everyone was a little bit off you know the timing some passes were behind the receivers from Caleb Williams some receivers just couldn't quite make the catches they normally do uh, are you guys concerned at all about the wide receiver room moving forward because yesterday it didn't look like as good a group as we saw through the first five games it's had a very Drake London feel to it where this everything was a contested catch if you remember that there wasn't yeah. like guys getting schemed open I thought Arizona did a good job they just kind of manned up people and sort of like hey we're gonna we're gonna get in your face and do something about it and you know, USC in general as a team, I'm not saying just the wide receiver room, they just, it didn't seem like they were up for the challenge, at least early on. They weren't ready to be like, they're like, yeah, we're better than you. Uh, you know, it's like your little brother on the, the basketball court or something comes up to you and it just like boxes you out, you know, takes you to the hoop and just like is pushing you around. Been in the like, gym. You're not even, yeah, you're like, you're not even ready. And you're like, hey, you're my little brother. And it's like, he's not thinking I'm your little brother. He's going, he's, you know, he's going on at you. And I felt like that's what Arizona was doing and USC didn't really respond. Um, you know, that was a, so a couple great plays by like uh, Brennan Rice. I think the when when this offense is clicking, a lot of dudes are catching balls and, you know, only six receivers caught a pass. My, you know, Michael Jackson had one that was, uh, was it the touchdown? Did it was he taken off. It was taken off the board. Short of the, short of the. Yeah, it was a, but it looked like a touchdown. One. Yeah. Um, Looking at back, it looked like a touchdown. Just, yeah, apparently, just, yeah, I I thought on the replay that he didn't get in, and then I looked on Twitter, and everyone's like, "How did they change that call?" It looked like oh, he was knee, he, the ball was crossed as he was down. So yeah, pack twelve refs or whatever. But I feel like, yeah, the, we didn't see the kind of separation, and a lot of it was just like Arizona being they're just playing man football out there, there's, and they're just manning up, 
And USC, not just with the wide receivers, just everywhere, they just weren't really kind of ready to get pushed back. And uh, Arizona did a lot of pushing. And, you know, USC fought back and won. But uh, they, they, were, they were taking punches at first, and I don't think they were ready. Uh, they didn't have their defense. You know, they weren't really uh, protecting themselves all that much. They just kind of got beat up a little bit. And I think the wide receivers were part of it. I'm not ready to say I'm concerned at this point. You know, they also just didn't, yeah, not a lot of separation. Those deep balls that Caleb was throwing just weren't connecting with guys. They were just a little bit over. There, was, uh, there were a couple of the Taj Washington that were just a little bit too high. Um, just the most open play I remember was the Mario Williams, like, 23-yarder he had in overtime. That was, like, the most open anyone was uh, in this game for USC wide yeah. receiver. I'm not particularly concerned right now. I still think there are a bunch of dogs in that room, and they're, they'll, they'll get on the same page again. But I was just really shocked that Dorian Singer didn't have a single catch in this game. And even though they were trying to get him the ball, it just wasn't working out. And yeah, I don't... the first play of the game, they tried to throw it to him, and it was defended. I, it almost like that set the tone. Yeah, because you're. It seemed like you were trying. Sometimes it seems like this offense is trying to do a certain thing. Like we're so good, we'd rather have this guy catch the first ball instead of like what's opening. I felt like that was sort of forced, and you kind of got that way later on. I don't know if you felt that way, but yeah, I've been thinking. You know, these last couple of weeks with Dorian Singer, uh, he is the USC receiver that I would say gets the least separation, but because he's but he's so good on jump balls, and that's kind of how he beat USC last year. If you remember when we were doing the recap show for the USC Arizona game last year, it's kind of we were saying these DBs were in a good spot, but then Dorian Singer just beat him. And last year that worked a lot in Arizona's offense because Jaden Delora would go to him. But Lincoln Riley doesn't like throwing those 50-50 balls too often. Now they had a game yesterday where they kind of had to, but a lot of times, like if you're Caleb Williams, you're throwing the guy that is wide open so you pass up on those 50 50 chances and it feels like dorian singer is maybe less of a fit in this offense because lincoln riley doesn't normally throw those fades or the jump balls in the end zone anything like that which is where singer succeeds but it definitely i feel like that was exacerbated a little bit yesterday just by the fact that really not many people were getting open um, and there was really strong man-to-man coverage from the wildcats yeah, I mean, that's really not Dorian Singer's game. He's not a speed guy. He's not Zachariah Branch. He's not like that, going to bust the coverage downfield. He's going to make an incredible uh, 50-50 ball, like you said, but not a lot of those in this play. He needs to just get a little bit of space, whether it's creating space for him, get those yards after catch. He's got really good hands. You know, he's not going to gonna beat you deep whatnot, and I felt like they were trying to do that with him, but it just wasn't just wasn't clicking, you know, that there, I, I, him and Caleb's chemistry just isn't there. It's just something a little bit off. And then maybe, the, you know, obviously he was pressing a little bit because yes. this is his old, old team. I want to make a play. I want to make a play. I want to make a play. But yeah, just, it just wasn't it. And it was basically, they didn't have another receiver out there because he wasn't, he wasn't giving them anything. The one ball he almost caught would have been a huge first down. Yeah. He dropped it. But he dropped it, so like it, it just wasn't uh, a night to remember for Dorian Singer, and I'm sure one he wants to forget about. Yeah, yeah you do give him credit too. He did force one pass interference on a third down where Caleb just kind of trusted him. And I mean, this is Dorian Singer's a guy whose high school coach said he'd bet his yearly salary on Singer coming down with a 50-50 ball, and it kind of felt like Caleb put that kind of trust him in trust in him on a third down. And he didn't come down with it, but he was just draped. Like the 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 DB was putting himself over Singer like a blanket, forced that first down. So he does offer that threat. I mean, he's a guy that you need to be scared of if you're an opposing defense, but he's, his statistics, and at least when you, you're know, stat line watching, they're far down from what he had at Arizona last year. Yeah. Very reminiscent of the, uh, what offense was, was that the 2021 offense where it was just like, 
get pass interference down the field. There was a lot, yeah. Just like throw it down the field and hope they interfere with Drake, <laughs> and then we get a first down. That that was. Or he just goes up and catches a ball over mm-hmm. three yeah. guys and stuff. Yeah, that, it looked too much like that because there were just guys weren't open and Caleb's looking and you know there were some. There's always some weird like oh it's third and three and there's like this low percentage like fade down the sideline like what are you, what's going on here like that some of that it just some of that stuff happens weird and it's okay when you're like touchdown 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 like and the drive ends a weird way like that but when you're not scoring and then the drive ends a weird way like that you're like you needed that one like that's you got to pick that one up so it Again, was nothing weird was night. easy no nothing was is pulling teeth the entire night. And I, yeah, I feel like USC's patience was tested early. They they were not patient on those first couple drives. I don't think if they had a patient approach and that mindset that Caleb Williams said that they were going in with, I don't think he's throwing those deep fades on third down. But they're used to getting plays like that. And now I think if you're USC, you're maybe a little worried that Arizona put the blueprint out there for how to stop this offense or at least slow them down during regulation. And I think really you might not solve this wide receiver separation issue or the passing game issue until you can run the ball. Because if teams can get away with Dropping the run with three guys up front, getting to Caleb with three guys up front, and then dropping eight in coverage, it's going to be tough for any wide receiver core to get open when you're going against eight people in coverage. So the USC, I think the main problem starts on the offensive line, where you've got to be able to bully the guys in front of you. You have to rush for four yards if you need it. You have to be able to crank out four or five yards on first down. And there's no way that you can allow a sack on Caleb Williams with three men rushing. There was at one point where both tackles got beat with three down linemen, and it was kind of an instant beat. And then Caleb ended up going down with a sack. So that's the kind of stuff that can't happen. Otherwise, defenses are going to get away with dropping eight guys into coverage. And after that, it's really hard for any offense, any quarterback, any team in the country to, to play against a defense that's dropping eight in coverage. Yeah, you got to push people around, run the football. Um, and I would say we got a lot of people, uh, I have saw someone in the chat say, when Caleb Williams is gone next year, you know, everything's going to go to crap. Never going to win a game. Oh, now that you're playing tough teams, you're going to lose every one. I wouldn't say that's a, like. Could USC finish like eight and four? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a possibility. I don't think it was a lot much stronger of possibility now than I thought maybe going in to the season. But I still am pretty confident that they can get things together. I mean, they were winning games like this last year where the defense was giving up plays, and um, you know, Caleb Williams is that good that. He's not going to let a bad performance kind of carry over. He's going to do a lot of stuff different. He's going to make it better. He's going to like, okay, well, we got to do this now. We're going to figure this out. Um, you know, Notre Dame didn't look that great. Like, you know, it's like that's certainly still a winnable game, even though it's on the road. Yeah, USC isn't playing as good as you thought. I didn't think Notre Dame would be as good as they looked early, but I mean, it's a winnable game. Utah's going to be tough. They're a tough team. They're not scoring a lot of points. You know, maybe they'll score a bunch on the USC defense, but, you know, it's at home. Like, certainly a winnable game. I think Washington's a winnable game. You know, even though they can score a bunch of points, US, their defense isn't that great. You know, you, Cal had 500 yards of offense against Washington. I feel like, you know, that's winnable. The one I'm looking at that's, like, going to be a lot tougher is Oregon uh, on the road. But you got this guy. It's like you'd still have a shot. So, if you want to be, if you're going to feel good about yourself, saying like I've told you this team sucks, and you're hoping that they go eight and four, so you can prove that. See, I told you they sucked. Fine. I mean, if that's what's going to give you enjoyment, like go right ahead and do it. They very well could, they, because there's shortcomings there. It's not a f- perfect team. They're flawed. They could lose a bunch of these games coming up. I don't think they will. They might not be 
pretty. They might be ugly wins like we saw Saturday night. But when you're playing a good team, I don't think the ugly win part matters. If they win on a two-point conversion at in South Bend, you're not going to feel like it's a loss. You're going to feel satisfied that you got a win against a ranked team on the road. I mean, I feel like that's where you are now, that the preseason or whatever is over. So if you, you, know, if you really just want to be proven right that you told everyone that they suck, fine and, and feel good about it, like root for Notre Dame to beat USC or whatever but if not you know say hey you know they weren't playing very good but somehow they figure out a way to win and try to feel good about it I mean college football is only a few months a year I would to try to enjoy it instead of just being like everything sucks and I told you it sucked and I want to show you it sucks so hopefully they suck like if, if why are you rooting for the team if that's like kind of your attitude sorry a little rant there from the P what should give you hope is remember how USC played in the first half against Colorado. Yeah. Like they were that that's like the best stretch we've seen. Obviously they gave up that touchdown at the end, which kind of signaled things to come in the second half, but they were unstoppable on offense and the defense was clicking. Like if USC plays like even like half of as good as they played against the Colorado, they're gonna be in every game down the stretch yeah. here. And we know that potential of this offense. So they gotta find that. First half Colorado teams. That first half Colorado team can can run the table here. Uh, will they? I'm not saying they are. I actually feel good about their chances in uh, South Bend. I feel good about their chances against a Cam Risingless Utah. Yeah. You know, Cal, they can beat Cal on the road. And, you know, Washington is winnable. I think it's going to be very tough, but it is winnable. You're at home in the Coliseum. That Oregon one is still, like, the loss for me. But, you know, again – this guy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, let's remember that they they played like juggernauts against Colorado start to, in that first half. So, they just need to get back to that. And, and a lot of people came in last season after the Cal game and the Oregon State game and the Arizona game and they're like, well, this team this team sucks. They, they can't they can't win big. By the end of the season, if they had beaten Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, no one would have cared about the close results early on. They've got a chance now. They've gotten through the early part of the schedule. They're six and zero. They're maybe lucky to be six and zero. You know, considering that there aren't many unbeaten's left in college football. I believe it's just eleven in the Power Five, and USC's in that group. You know, Notre Dame isn't. Clemson's got a couple losses. Like there are blue bloods out there that have lost two two times more games than USC. Like six and zero is still a good place to be. It obviously, hasn't been pretty. You're seeing that reflected in in you know the betting odds for for the game in South Bend, where Notre Dame's favored despite having two losses, but they are the home team. Um, but uh, you know, you, if you win the games down the stretch of the schedule, you're not going to care how how it is. If if USC wins next week, fifty to forty nine. That's a win. You get credit for a win. Um, you know, not saying you have to feel good about a two-point win and triple overtime at home over Arizona, but at least you got through the early part of the schedule six and zero. And you know, I'm sure that everyone's got some thoughts. So we can go to some live callers now. We've got yeah, two in the queue. It. If you guys want to call in, you know, follow up these callers with a call of your own. You can call in at five one two four tunnel. Everyone, make sure to keep it under a minute to fifty seconds. Make your thoughts quick. Get in, get out with a question. But we're going to start it off with Dr. K. Hi, Dr. K. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. So first of all, shout out to all of you uh, with your wonderful interviews of the players after they played about three and a half hours or longer. Must have been tough questions. But also on the field game that you put up on YouTube, who is filming this? Now, real quick, shout out to Connor for telling it like it is on instant analysis. He received many negative comments on YouTube chat. 
but it kind of reminded me of Dan somewhat, who told it like it was. So here's a question. Do all of you read the comments in the chat? Do you respond? What, what kind of feedback, uh, how you respond to all of it? Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. K. That's Chris, the Cilantro boy, Chris Trevino, doing the uh, field-level highlights. Please so. watch the field-level highlights. I can never predict what field highlights are going to do well. Like, the, from the first three games of the season, did really well numbers-wise. Nobody really watched the Colorado one. No one's really watching this one. It was a triple overtime. Yeah. Go watch this. I got a great shot of Jacoby Covington's pick. He came right at me. And the celebration is better than maybe even the play. So... Please yeah. go the watch Ju- the go Jude watch. Wolf touchdown came right. Go watch the highlights so I can keep my job. I watched it. Yeah. Um, so w- there's a lot of comments going on, and right now, especially on game days, we are all creating content, um, and it's very busy. The Parastyle over at USCFootball.com. It's hard to get in there. There's so many threads. It's just really crowded. Uh, but we got to get in there. I mean, it c- can get a little crazy. The YouTube comments. Try to look at them. Um, there's going to be stuff like kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'll try to respond every once in a while, not as much on YouTube, but just try to look at them and see, I think we do a lot more when we're doing the live stuff. Obviously live we're, we're looking at them a lot. If you on the peristyle, obviously there are paying subscribers. So we're, we're in there looking at them a lot, but if like, if you're talking about like a comments on like a practice incident with me and me and jack or an instant analysis from a game that i do no i'm not reading comments because people are mean to me so i don't i don't read them i stopped reading them i used to read all the comments when i first started now i don't once in a while i'll i'll look in there and see what happened i will troll people who are just being like really weird and mean for no reason so i I'll do you'll see me i've responded to stuff from my own account so i do troll people uh but for the most part no i'm not uh reading the comments daily i'm not i'm not doing that because it's not good for your mental health and like i said people are mean but i do listen to feedback when it's something like specific that it can fix like with the with the highlights people were like can you please get like a stabilizer so i got a monopod and it's become much smoother and, and people are happy now so i do listen to criticism like that yeah um but if you're just telling me i look weird then yeah i, I, I can't really fix that that's just me so it is funny. We get a lot of stuff like, and we'll do, we have a big staff. So like today, Connor's normally been here. He's got something going on. Chris comes in and we'll get comments like, wait, what's Chris doing there? Why is he? You know? And then when Chris isn't here, we'll get like, wait, I want Chris around. Like there's going to be like, there's a wide variety. So like, you know, they'll be critical of all of us or they'll be like, why aren't they here? Oh, I love Chris or I love Connor. They're not here now, so I'm going to complain or whatever. It's it, you know that stuff happens, and you know we value people's opinions, but you get a lot of them, so it's uh, there's a lot to go through. Yeah, I think it's more you know the only time I read is just to get a general vibe of what USC fans are feeling based on a certain game, and I've kind of realized now it's it's really the same vibe every single game, no matter what. Even after the Stanford game where it was 49-3 at halftime, there were just as many critical comments as happy comments. Um, so yeah, and responding is harder just because everyone's kind of saying the same thing and if you respond to one person it's like well does one person speak for the whole group so you know i would just more like come on the show and be like well you can tell that usc fans aren't feeling great about this one i'm sure they've got thoughts uh but we've got a lot more callers in the queue that was a good question we'll go to dave from iowa next hi dave you're on tunnel vision should you ever set foot outside of the motel you will be shot don't miss the new showtime limited series based on the international bestseller 
For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, is a raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hi, guys. Dave from Iowa, as usual. Good to be back. Um, I got a two-part question. One, uh, so back-to-back seasons thus far, Alex Grinch, the defense, has given up, uh, or is averaging giving up over 400 yards uh, to the opposing team, and he did that against Oklahoma. So just curious, statistically, is there any evidence or reasoning as to why you guys would think that this defense would get any better and the second part of the question is to that point after three weeks um after three weeks do you guys are sorry after three weeks i'm asking the same question do you think lincoln riley cares about the defense all right thanks for that one dave uh one it's a better defense because they got better players so that helps um it is trending and Yards per game isn't a great stat, but I, you know, you should go check out RJ Abadia's, um, you know, advanced uh, analytics, his analysis there for some of the advanced stats, and the the points per drive is a, a big one. And uh, there, the last three games, it's been over two. It's got worse. It's not as bad as it was last year, but it's approaching it. Like it's going in that direction. So it's certainly, but. It still looks better. And like we talked about some of the things that, you know, that stop that USC got to force a 51-yard field goal. Don't think they're getting that last year. And and Jack mentioned, you know, a couple of red zone field goals forced. They don't always do that. They haven't been great about forcing red goal. You know, this was like against uh, Colorado, they didn't. But against Arizona, they got a couple. So that was good. Um, so I think there's reasons why it would be better. And yeah, I think Lincoln Riley cares about defense. I mean, there's he's got priorities and it's maybe not yours uh maybe not some of the other people's but i mean he it, he cares about defense i think he's tired of getting defensive questions he's definitely tired of that <laughs> i think it's funny too because there was like one defensive question in the entire postgame press conference this week like one about the defense as a yeah. whole and he, he took it and then caleb took it and you know i understand that you know they don't like hearing about the defense, and yes, the defense has taken some steps, but he said they've taken big steps in a game they allowed 41 points. I feel it was more critical, like in the Colorado game, where you had a big lead and blew it. And this one, it was just sort of like you were dug in a huge hole, and there was a lot of focus about how you dug out of the hole. So there were some positives there about like coming back and getting a win, but there's some really bad reasons why you're in that hole to begin with. But when it happens at the end, it's probably better to like play better at the end than you did in the beginning uh, because then people are going to talk about the end where you played better. But yeah, I don't think that you got the same kind of um, heated questions or whatever about the defense in this one just because it was one of the craziest games you've ever seen. You got to talk about all this other stuff that happened too um, where Colorado, you're like, you gave up four touchdowns the last five drives, and it was like a collapse. So that sort of was what everyone was focused on, I think. It's like, yes, you're praising the defense for saving the baby from falling off the ledge. But who left the window open yeah. and wasn't watching the baby to get to the position where they had to save it? Right. That's true. 
No, just fair. I mean, and he asked, you know, statistics coming into the week. This is a defense that led the nation in sacks. Uh, they led the nation in pressure rate. That's better, I think, than leading the nation in turnovers like they were doing last year. Um, but also, I think you look at the personnel as like the personnel is clearly better. So if the statistics regarding, you know, Alex Grinch's defense haven't been changing, then you can maybe start to, as the season goes on, I don't think you can make it through six games yet, but if the season goes on and the personnel keep showing that they are good and the statistics don't really change that much, then you can you know focus some of the blame I think during the offseason and start to channel that to more specific places like you weren't really able to do this offseason because it was kind of like a chicken or the egg thing is it Grinch's defense or is it the personnel I think no question the personnel is better this season so we'll see if they can turn it around before we get to the next caller we did get a super chat that I want to go to next Brennan Norwood on YouTube says he five bucks and he says he wants Chris to say I guess Chris do you have this pulled up I don't want to like say it and ruin what this guy wants you to say. I don't have it. Do you want me to walk over there? No. Uh, I, like I said, I don't read comments, so I stop looking at the thing. He, he wants you to say, how about you jabronis come up with new arguments and get your candy asses out of here because Chris says so. One more time. How about you How about you jabronis come up with new excuses? New arguments. New arguments. Uh-huh. So you can get... I need the last part. And get your candy asses out of here because Chris says so. Because Chris says so. How about you jabronis come up with new arguments so you can... <laughs> Would have been faster probably if you just pull up YouTube. But... <laughs> I'm confused. What is going on here? I, this guy, he wanted Chris He wanted Chris to say this quote, but I oh, kind of had to spoil the quote to it get is, it to Chris. It is a uh, super chat, but... Uh, I'm willing to walk over there and read it right now. <laughs> can you read it? You, you have terrible eyes, right? Here we go. Can you see that? Once I put on my glasses... Yeah. How about you jabronis come up with new arguments and get your candy asses out of here because Chris says so. And yes, I'm talking in the first person. Nice. You're not talking to the third person? Third person? Yeah. I'm not sure. All right. We can I went to bed at 430. Leave me alone. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. We can go back to live callers now. We've got two more in the queue and then we can go to questions. Our next caller is Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, first, first of all, I'm not a jabroni. And uh, second of all, uh, I wanted to ask if if SC's defense is what it is right now and we're coming to Oregon, Washington, obviously next week is kind of going to be somewhat of a cupcake considering or, uh, Notre Dame's offense is pretty bad. What do you guys uh, What do you guys think we're going to possibly do or possibly have an effect on how SC's defense is going to be? Thanks, guys. Thanks for the, uh, the call there. And I think that's a common – someone in the chat was like, what's going to happen to Notre Dame? So basically you're like – you let Jacob Cowling score four touchdowns, so Notre Dame's going to score a hundred. Like, no, that's not going to be the case. Like, you, this defense certainly has shortcomings. They actually do stuff pretty well too, like their pressure rates and the way they get after the quarterback. It's sort of like you're going to have some good plays that they'll probably sack Sam Hartman a couple of times and get some, you know, make some big plays. Maybe they force a turnover or two. And Notre Dame's not been great on offense, but they do. If you look at uh, RJ's numbers, they they do score. They don't. They're kind of shorter and shorten the game a little bit. 
their points per drive is actually pretty good. They can score. So it could be one of those things where there's not as many points being scored, but Notre Dame scoring on a lot of their drives, and then USC is pressured to score on a lot of their drives. It could be something like that. It's just, we, you know, you don't know. But it, for for you to say, and everyone's like, they were so bad against this team that's not that good, and this guy that's a new quarterback, and this freshman scored all these points, and all that, it's true. But it doesn't necessarily mean that USC's going to get blown out by Notre Dame. Like, Notre Dame's got two losses, like Jack said. They just lost to Louisville. It was a good team. Um, USC's really talented. Notre Dame's got a lot of talent. It's on the road. I think a lot of different things can happen. So I wouldn't just say, like, well, they didn't play good in this game, so obviously Notre Dame's going to kill them. Like, I, they could. Notre Dame could beat their, you know, just beat their butts. Um, but USC could beat some, you know, Irish ass too. So I think a lot of different oh. things can happen, right? It's just, there's a lot of things to happen. So just, I would say, uh, because I don't like the way this goes, Notre Dame's just going to kill them. Like, it, it's just not that simple. Like, it, that's, it's not the way it works. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, USC came out and, like, absolutely destroyed Notre Dame or I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if it was like a shootout and USC won or a shootout and USC lost I would not be surprised a lot of things could happen because you have a very good leader in Caleb Williams and you have a defense that has talent it has talent we, we've seen the talent they got good pressure rates they get they they're more talented than they were a year ago but let's just let's just see them play the game first you know I don't know what's going to happen you don't know what's going to happen no one knows what's going to happen so let's let's just watch the game yeah we you can you can be uh mindful that it's probably not a good good momentum ride for USC's defense going to this one but hey let's let's roll the ball out there and see what happens yeah, yeah sometimes football happens sometimes two good teams go in and it's a blowout and look at 49ers and Cowboys right now it's 42 to 10 between two <laughs> really, really good you just, teams you just had to do that to me uh, well I didn't say that you're a Cowboys fan or anything people and I know that I'm a Cowboys fan uh, well they know that Tough they day. just fumbled. Oh my goodness. Anyways, two good teams can can play blowouts. Two bad teams can play close games. Like one bad team and one good team can play a close game. Like that's how football works. Uh, one early look ahead to Notre Dame that I'll mention now. USC just faced one of the best wide receiver rooms probably in the conference and Jacob Cowing and Tedaroa McMillan. Those two are studs. Notre Dame has a lackluster wide receiver room. They got bailed out a little bit with that last year because they had Michael Mayer at tight end. They don't have you know a huge game changer at tight end this year but their running game is really good. Audrey Gaston might be one of the best running backs in the country. So I would say if USC can make Notre Dame one-dimensional and find a way to stop the run, then I'm not sure that Notre Dame has the playmakers to get it going against USC's defense. But then again, that is asking for a lot considering how good that Notre Dame run game yeah. can be. But I wouldn't. I think it's negligent to say that next week is a cupcake, especially in South Bend, because you could have the best USC team and the worst Notre Dame team ever. And going into South Bend, like I would never call it a cupcake. Like It's hard yeah. to play there. It's a rivalry game. Most rivalry games are close. They haven't won since 2011 in South Bend? I think so, yeah. It's so long. it's hard to win it's there. It's a big game. This is a huge game. And I feel like that's, you know, be excited about this one. It's, you know, the, the first six games, whatever, preseason, whatever it was, you had more hiccups than you would like. There were some really good moments. I mean, 49-3 to against Stanford in the first half. It's like, okay. You know, they could come out on fire. Um, they could come out on fire and then kind of blow out the second half. They could play it close. You know I mean? They could come out and lay an egg like they did against Arizona. Like, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. But this is USC Notre Dame. It's in South Bend. You have an opportunity. You know, USC's been dropping in the polls. And not that the polls matter, but every time you get a win. Like, you're not going to beat Notre Dame and drop in the polls. You're going to definitely move up. Um, so you're going to get credit for a win if you go in there and do it. And how, you know, I think people are going to feel a lot better 
you know, seven and zero coming off a win over Notre Dame versus six and zero triple overtime against Arizona. So I would say put your like. I've told you they're going to suck hat away and just say, I hope they win against Notre Dame and see what happens. They'll have that hat ready, though. Yeah, I mean. They'll have that hat ready. They will. All right, we've got one more caller in the queue. It's Andrew from San Diego. Hi, Andrew. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Andrew from San Diego again. I'm just so sick of this, like, a knitting circle and everybody's doom and gloom that we're losing games and the defense is terrible, but we're 6-0. and I mean, rewind. We had Clay Helton. We had Steve Sarkeesian. We had Lane Kiffin. And, I mean, it's just this is the best time to be an SC fan. Everybody has to calm down, please. Enjoy it. Caleb Williams is a generational talent. I can't emphasize it enough. Please, just watch him play every snap and enjoy it because 13 is going to be in the peristyle. Five should be up there too, but that's another story. So just enjoy every game. Thank you. No, I think it's good advice. And I, fans you certainly have a right to have criticisms and be critical. But sometimes it goes, it just gets going too far. And you're like, okay, you could have had Clay Hilton as your, your coach. I mean, I, the people that are questioning Lincoln Riley, I mean, I think that's the best hire USC could have made. You know, it's really, um, it's year two for him. There was a quick turnaround. I think expectations of a national championship in year two. I never thought that this team would be, but I thought they were good enough to compete to make it to the college football playoff. This year, with teams not looking as dominant as before, kind of gives you a better chance, but there's a lot of good teams. I think it makes it harder to get there, especially in the Pac-12, the way it's stacked up right now. So it's uh, it's not an easy road. It's a flawed team. There's imperfections, but I would agree, you know, you can enjoy 13 and you can enjoy this team because this is feeling bad about being six and zero is a lot better than feeling bad, you know, in your middle of the five and seven season or a four and eight season or something. And those are, those were happened not that long ago. You can also enjoy number 14 because Chris's Cowboys getting beat so bad now that Sam Darnold looks like he has to play the, the entire fourth quarter. So that's good for the former Trojan. Let's oh, get to go. some questions now. We've got one more super chat and, and shot I'll make this one quick. Uh, Hot Since 91 on YouTube says, <laughs> can you please get a directional mic for your iPhones that you use for practice interviews? This is a question that or a comment that we get a lot on YouTube. We use microphones. It's kind of just a cruddy situation out there on Howard Jones Field with the street right behind it, the band playing in the background. Everyone out there uses directional microphones plugged into the iPhone. At some point, you know, there's not much we can do. So I, I moved through that one quick because it is a comment that we get a lot on Ryan YouTube. Ryan forgot his directional microphone. I know. And his audio was terrible. He wasn't using a microphone. And we don't know what that issue was. But that wasn't on the mic because there yeah. was no mic. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. So there, there are mics. It's it's kind of hard, you know, out in the open air environment with the street right behind sometimes. And, you know, some guys talk louder than others, and that's out of our control. Watch my interviews from post-game. I got the crispiest footage you'll ever hear and the best audio you'll ever hear. I got a sweet mic set up. I'm just plugging my mic right now. There so. you go. Plug that mic. I don't use it for practice, but go watch those, the crisp audio. You'll love it. All right, there we go. We've got USC MV on YouTube with another question. He says, can we agree that USC has tremendous talent, most of the time better than its opponent? And he said, would you say coaches are not putting the pieces together right? I mean, I think it's a complicated puzzle. Um, you know, criticisms of like the defense, if you're going to say like, I do feel it's a lot more talented. And if you had a different defensive coordinator, could you get better results with the same group of players? I think that's true, you know. Um, I think that's fair. 
I mean, for Lincoln Riley, he was asked a question about the offense, and they had, like, the number one offense in the country. So it's like, okay, I mean, if you have a bad game on offense, you already had the number one offense. Like, it's – they're – I mean – The question was about their identity, which was kind of a weird question because yeah. that's his whole identity. This is his offense. This is what he does, you know, and it, they're going to keep Alex Grinch until they don't. And it's if they struggle down the stretch, I would, you know, be willing to bet he's not going to be there next year. But Lincoln Riley made a choice – Double down. Um, yeah. On, uh, you know, keeping continuity. There was, you. whenever you make it a big decision as a decision maker, there's a lot of factors coming in. And you might have someone from one side, you know, if I'm making a decision as the publisher of uscfootball.com, Chris and Jack might have different concerns and they could be competing against each other. And I'm listening to both sides. And there was, there was definitely concerns for Lincoln Riley of, hey, you should get a new defensive coordinator. But he also felt that he wanted to keep continuity and he wanted to keep these people together because there's so much had changed. And I think there's, you know, there was valid reasons for it. It might not be there. It might be the wrong one. You know, it might that he should have done it. Maybe he should have done it and whatever. But I think at this point, you just kind of have to, you're rolling with that. And if they stink down the stretch and give up a bunch of points and lose games, there's not going to be any choice but to, to make a decision there. But if you're questioning like, oh, they need to run the, off the ball more and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you had an offense that had the Heisman Trophy winner. Like, they're really good on offense. And that's why the people that were saying, like, well, you need to do this different on offense and slow down. Well, it looks a lot different when the offense doesn't score, right? I, I would just let the offense go. And if they score in two seconds, let them score in two seconds. I just want them to score, you know? Um, it's not their job to help the defense. Uh, that's I've just, I got off on that last week. Um, but I, I believe in that. Because then when the offense stinks, they're like, oh, why, why didn't you do this? I'm like, well, just let the offense do what it needs to do. And uh, if he's if he's feeling like this is the way we're gonna the best way to score, then I trust Lincoln. I mean, he knows what he's doing when it comes to offense, you know. And he's not perfect; he doesn't call perfect games. He'll make mistakes, just like everybody. But for the most part, uh, they figure shit out pretty good, and uh, they score a lot of points. I think Ryan speaks for both Chris and I. Chris is good <laughs> with that. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Steve asks on YouTube, six games in, why does it feel like USC doesn't have the linebacker combinations figured out? He says that he doesn't think that Mason Cobb and Tackett Curtis can be the starting group. He said Cobb and Lee or Cobb and Gentry or Gentry and Lee should be what the team starts with. It's because for whatever reason, they won't play Eric Gentry. And it's I, so weird. I don't. They played him a lot more yesterday. It definitely. Like down the stretch in crunch time when the game was like – Bullets were flying. It was Gentry and Cobb for the most part. So I like, why don't you just start with that? I don't know. We could see know. the different now that they're going into the harder part of the schedule. Those are two guys that, I mean, clearly had not been healthy. We knew Gentry had been dealing with something. Cobb literally told us last week or yesterday night that he's been playing for two to three weeks with a popped out rib, which none of us, I guess, knew was medically possible. But so maybe they're trying to save them. But I think you're right. You know, you saw. Cobb and Gentry, which we've said kind of all season long is that best linebacker combination. You saw them play down the stretch. That was when USC's linebacking was the best that it's been for the most part this season. Like the problems that happened on those late drives weren't caused by the linebackers. It was caused by, you know, the coverage from the safeties or the tackling from the corners. When Cobb and Gentry were in there for the most part during the game, that's when the linebacking was at its best. You've got Cobb make that stop to win the game. Gentry made seven tackles without missing a tackle, top graded tackler on the team. Like that's when the linebacking was the best and so it does make it peculiar for why if it's clear those two are the best combo why have they not been playing very much together at all yeah and Lincoln Riley was asked about this during the week and he was like he's still like getting his 
you know, sea legs about him and just, you know, coming back from the injury and everything. But uh, our friend Fight on Rusty tweeted out, like, so 31 snaps he had per pro football focus, seven tackles and seven opportunities, so he didn't miss any. He had, uh, he led the team with his tackling grade. He led the team with his defensive grade. And he led the team with his run defensive grade. So it's like, okay. I mean, it seems like he's doing well. From our from the naked eye, we look at it. It seems like he's doing well. It seems like the they get production when he's on the field. The numbers, at least from PFF, that aren't perfect, but there's something. Um, yeah, and then we don't understand why. Um, so if he's on a pitch count or whatever, but it just seems like he's been one of the more productive guys out there, and uh, he's not. He's definitely not playing as much as like a Mason Cobb. Um, and I, I I think him and Cobb are the best combination. We saw some Lee. And important stretches, and I think you could mix him in and stuff too. Um, but they seem to be really leaning on Taka Curtis a lot. They went, and I don't remember like a memorable play from that game, and there was definitely some some mistakes. Um, but he's a freshman; you kind of expect that stuff. But it seems like you're like relying on him as opposed to letting him come in and spell Gentry, which seems like that'd be like you know, I think you'd put him in a better position to succeed too. But I don't know. We've asked about this stuff like for weeks, and it's just. It hasn't made sense from what we're watching and from what we've heard, uh, so I, I can't tell you why. Big T37 asked a similar question, said, did Rajon Davis play any defensive snaps yesterday? Wait and see the official snap count, but I don't remember him seeing him out there for a single snap, so I believe it's a goose egg in that regard. Um, hot since 91, and Chris, I know this is something that you wanted to talk about. Can we chat a bit about injuries post-Arizona? Yeah, so, yeah, like Jack said, also, great name. Hot since 91. Great name. As a, a as, a, name. as a 91 baby, I might steal that for something. Chris, uh, are, you pu- are you putting your own questions in the chat? This would feel like cheating if you uh, were. No, I am definitely not. Definitely don't search up that user's information. Um, yes, injuries. I did want to bring this up because USC, I don't think we're talking about it or didn't talk about it enough coming out of that game. But USC got super banged up out of that game, especially at cornerback. You know, they were already down. Damani Jackson, who was out. We know Zachariah Branch was out. Max Williams did return, but you lost through the course of the game. Jacoby Covington, he left for, they didn't tell us why he left, but I saw him on the sideline without a helmet, which usually tells me that they took your helmet away, you're injured, you're not going back in. Christian Roland Wallace took a hit on a tackle, and then he had to be, you know, helped to the sideline. He did not return, so USC was forced to turn to Sierra Wright, their former, you know, starter, and Prophet Brown, who has not played a lot. I'm excited to talk. Finally, talk to Proper Brown this week in practice, and you know, barring what those injuries are, you know, we might see more profit out there in South Bend. Uh, another injury, or not injury, but something to keep an eye on. You know, everyone saw. I assume they saw Justin Dietrich come up a little bit limp, uh, gimpy after uh, he grabbed his ankle. There's a play. I think it was like a screen out outside and didn't. Uh, it wasn't complete. Came up really slow. The, the the play he had to leave the game, and Killian O'Connor came in for a snap. You know, Justin Dietrich is. I think he's been playing through a lot of injuries, and he walked off that field limping or limping, but like you know, you know, like kind of old man walk. Like uh, I took I took a beating here today. So that's just something to hold to look out for, especially as you're going into these bigger games, these bigger opponents. Uh, you know, USC is not great at center depth, so. That's something to watch. I think he's he's banged up right now. I think everyone on that offensive line is a little bit banged up. It's football, but I think he specifically is a little more banged up. And then Eric Gentry, there was that play late in the fourth quarter. I'm not really sure what the play was. I don't remember, but 
he had to be helped to the sidelines. I was looking at him. He looked dazed walking off the field. Like he was eyes closed like this and he had to be helped to the field. He was wobbling a little bit. I mean, I'm not breaking any rules saying that. Everyone saw that. You know, he yeah. was on the it was on the broadcast. You can see it in the game, but he was visibly shaken. He said I'm good when he was on the sideline, but again, that's something we're gonna have to monitor. If it's, you know, a concussion protocol thing, you know, I would not expect him to be playing this weekend. I mean, we'll have to see moving forward with uh, practice if he's out there. But yeah, that was a that was something that I noticed. You know, he definitely looked uh, like he took a big hit to the head when he came off the field. So that's obviously something to look for, look forward to through the course of the week. But yeah, USC got really banged up in this game. And Mason Cobb, as he told us yesterday, playing with a popped out rib. Now, clearly he was physically okay to play through it, didn't leave the game, didn't tell his teammates, has been dealing with the injury for a couple weeks. Kind of didn't feel like USC wanted him to tell us that information. Uh, it was kind of oh, funny. Definitely not. Everett, I mean, that basically his interview went for two minutes when normally we get each player for five. He was kind of pointing out where the injury was, and then he was kind of pulled off the stand a little bit at, relatively quickly. So um, They gave him the hook. Yeah, they, he was kind of unprompted, too. I just asked him. I said, uh, you know, how much more or less did you feel like yourself? Because he said he didn't feel like himself against Arizona State. And he starts off, he's like, well, you know, I was playing with a popped out rib. And then you can kind of hear like a collective gasp from the media. And we're like, is that, is that even possible? So, you know, obviously he's a little banged up too. And you remember back to the USC stretch last season, they came off the really physical, close, similar game against Utah where they ended up taking the loss. But after that game, you were without Gentry. You were without Jordan Addison and Mario Williams. Like they were really banged up. That made some of the other games close. Now you're going into the most physical stretch of the season at Notre Dame home versus Utah like those were the games you were expecting to maybe get a little bit banged up in and that might offset the rest of your season now if you're going banged up into this stretch it could be tough for USC yeah it's funny I, I will have an interview coming up you know we do the interviews through House of Victory it was just me today instead of me and Connor but talk to Jamil Muhammad who had uh leads the team 10 tackles for loss leads the team and sacks with six he's sixth nationally in sacks and uh i had mentioned there was a question about mason cobb and what kind of what does that show him playing through a popped out rib and jimmy mohammed didn't realize that he was like i didn't know he did that so um it was kind of a funny little clip there but that that interview will be going up he's great he's great to talk to and stuff but uh yeah pretty impressive that he was playing through that and then I guess USC didn't want that to be out there that much, but he already said it. So I don't that know. was the name I forgot. Jamal Muhammad got a little bit banged up. He came out for a couple of plays, and I saw him working with the trainers on the sideline. He was like, you know, when you do that thing, like you're trying to show the trainers that you're good, you know, kind of running, showing you can change direction and stuff. And then he went into the halftime late with the trainers around him, and then he seemed fine coming out of halftime. But he definitely seemed a little bit uh, uh, limpy. Uh, at, during that stretch when he came off the field. So that's another thing to monitor. But again, a lot of these guys were just running off adrenaline, and I'm sure that's kind of partly the reason why he uh, Mason Cobb gave you that answer because he was just like, well, I'm riding high from this win right now. I'm a warrior. Let's talk about it. I, yeah. I think that's a that, that happens sometimes after a big emotional win when you're letting out all those emotions post-game. And I talked to Muhammad about he, – he said he got banged up, but he would he didn't go into specifics. He's just like, you know, it's just one of those things. You just whatever. And – and remember, they don't, they don't have a buy. They don't have a buy. No buy. So I was just going to say You're just going to have yeah. to grind it out. Play Rajon Davis if you're down a linebacker. You have him. Play him. Yeah. After you know the heat of the moment, f bombs can come out too. Mason Cobb dropped a couple of those. It was it was really one of the best scrums that we've had so far this year. If you haven't seen it yet, go on YouTube. It's it's a quick video, but he, he was very forthcoming with the with the popped out rib thing. He was very funny, apologetic too for dropping the f bombs, but. Um, 
we've got one more super chat to get to, and then we can kind of wrap Let's this go. up. It comes from Relic on YouTube, five bucks, and he did a little research here. He said, I did the math. Historically, 40% of Lincoln Riley's games have been determined by one score. Fans should accept that it's not out of the norm for Riley's staff. I don't know what the normal numbers are, so I can't really compare that to anything. If that's, I mean, 40% doesn't seem like that's that much. I mean, you're going to have some tough games, and they're probably going to be close. I don't know if that number like doesn't really like seem weird to me or odd. Does that seem out of place to you? I'm all about being honest. I'm going to be really honest right now. I did not hear the question. Oh, 40%. I, th I thought I could find it in your answer, and you gave me nothing. So 40 It wasn't a question. It was just saying that historically 40% oh. of Lincoln Riley's games have been determined by one score. Fans should accept it's not out of the norm. Yeah, I mean, I can't go back and I don't have stats offhand of what how that stacks up to other coaches. Yeah. I mean, I would assume it's a little bit higher than, say, like a defensive coach like well, maybe not because they're closer games like Nick Saban or Pete Carroll. I don't, I don't have those stats. I don't know those numbers. Um, but since you calculated it, maybe you could do that for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, this season it's fifty percent with you know three games out of six. Um, but also, if you know if forty percent of the games have been decided by one score, Lincoln Riley, I, I think, has never had less than. Is it less than 10? There's a number where it's like Lincoln Riley has never had less than this amount of losses in a season. And if you finish every season with as many wins as he normally does, then you're happy if you're USC. I know the expectations have been risen. We talked about this last week uh, in the recap show after the Colorado game. But Lincoln Riley's going to win you a lot of football games. Even if he's in close ones, like he normally wins them. And I would say so far for USC, they've avoided that Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma loss where he'd lose to either a conference opponent that he, he really shouldn't lose to or a non-conference game that he shouldn't lose. USC's kind of avoided those I know they were winning and and you know the the three games that they did lose under Lincoln Riley last year but they didn't go into a game like like he did at Oklahoma and just lose straight up to a team that he shouldn't have yesterday could have been and they didn't and you know he said it said a lot about the culture everyone can have their own opinion but there have been a lot of questions about our updated record predictions, how we think USC is going to handle this next stretch. Uh, I think we should end this show by, you know, finishing that out, giving our updated record predictions. USC's got six games left. It goes Notre Dame, Utah, Cal, Washington, Oregon, UCLA. I think I put that right. So a couple of them are at home, a couple of them on the road. How many of those do you think USC wins and how many do you think they lose? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think I predicted 11-1 going in there now. I mean, I think that's still a possibility, but I feel like 10 and 2, like going 4 and 2 in the final stretch is probably like where you put your over under or whatever. That's kind of like, you know, if you think, I mean, they could lose more than that. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's a, I mean, you know, it's a toss up game with Notre Dame on the road. It's a, the, Notre Dame's a two and a half point favorite, you know, road environment, whatever. I mean, that's certainly winnable. I think Utah's very winnable. I think the home game against Washington is very winnable. Cal's not very good. And uh, UCLA's got a great defense, um, not as much on offense, you know, so it, we saw what happened last year, and that was in the Rose Bowl. This will be in the Coliseum. Yeah, I think, you know, I, most everything's on the table, but I would go with 10 and 2 if I was, like, betting on a, an outcome. I, I had 11-1 uh, to start the years with the Oregon loss. I'm going to stick to that. Like I, like I said, it. I still think they – I feel good about how they're going to perform against uh, Notre Dame. Again, I said I think they can beat Utah at home with a Cam Risingless offense. Cal's Cal, but given how they played 
down to some teams. You know, it might be a shootout with Cal, which would be who knows. Yeah. Who knows? Who had a shootout with Oregon State. Wow, that was a surprising score yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so I again, and they can be watching. It's going to take the best defensive effort of the year at home, but you know, and rivalry game, rivalry game. But I still, I would still say five and one. But I'm open to a four and two. Okay. But I got to yeah. stick with what I predicted. I got to stick with what I predicted. So. I think I'd go five and one, but you can also see four and two. And I know no two loss team has ever made the playoff before. But if USC finishes ten and two and they go to the Pac-12 championship and they win it with this year in the Pac-12 and how good it is, like I could see this being the year that a two loss team makes it. If that were the case, and 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 if you you know told a USC fan you are finishing the regular season ten and two, like that is just a given. I think most USC fans are rooting for one of those losses to come this week. I think you'd rather lose to Notre Dame than lose to any of the Pac-12 teams because it doesn't mess up your chances of getting to the Pac-12 championship. If you lose two two games, you're going to need some luck on your side to still get to Vegas because if two of your losses are coming in the Pac-12, that could really hurt you because there are so many good Pac-12 teams. You could, you could see Washington, Oregon, USC, maybe Utah and UCLA are still in the conversation and Oregon State uh, getting in that conversation to go to Vegas so if you if you've got two losses in the Pac-12 and you know it's Washington and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, then there's no way you're going to the playoffs. So if one of those losses were to come to Notre Dame this week, that might actually be better than losing some of those other games. And I know you never want to lose a rivalry one, but uh, that is definitely something to keep in mind. But it's kind of right in between that five and one, four and two. Everyone's saying I think they're going to lose three or four games the rest of the season. I think that's a, that's a slight overreaction. Yes, I would agree. All right. Any other thoughts before we wrap this one up? I do have one thought. Okay. So going to Notre go. Dame. I'm excited. My first trip to South Bend. My first extended trip in Chicago because I've only been there for like an hour layaway or something. I'm trying to get Ryan to do a meetup. So I need everyone to spam him in his inbox and on Twitter. And I feel like I'm close to, to sealing the deal to get him to do it. He really wants deep dish pizza. So if anyone knows a spot that wouldn't be too crowded that we can take over, let us know. Or otherwise, me and Shotgun uh, will go somewhere. And we can, we can do something. This feel, that felt like a dirty move, Chris. That felt no, dirty. that's fine. I don't mind. Like, we've, we've done meetups in every road game, and they've all been fun. We've had a lot of people come. Uh, it was cool. He puts me on the spot all the time on live, so I'm just doing it back Yeah, no, him. that's good. And I, we could do one. I just, you know, it's we're in Chicago, then the game is far away, so it's like one of those things. I do want to get deep dish pizza when I'm there, and that's <laughs> Friday night's like our only time to really actually do anything. Um, so it could potentially we get there. I think we land at like four. We could go three. get three. Okay, we could get like early deep dish, and then it would be like lunch for us, I guess. Uh, do we land at three? I thought we landed. Yeah. At three. Okay. Uh, we'll figure it out. But yeah, we'll, we'd maybe like we to fly in Saturday at three. Maybe that's what I'm confusing. Yeah, you're coming in Saturday. <laughs> yeah, watch out, Chris. He's going to change your flight to Saturday now, now that you've asked for a meetup. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd like to. We could do one. Um, I just haven't thought of it. In Chicago, you know, it's a little different to do something in like Scottsdale versus like Chicago because like they're so spread out and there's a lot of different stuff. But he did it in Austin. Austin, we crushed it. That was one of the craziest stories that we were in, uh, you know, Doing the one in uh, Boulder at the, what was it, the Dark Horse. Dark Horse. And then someone, we were talking about meetups, and I started telling a story from 2017 uh, when USC played Texas in Austin, and we did a meetup there at a bar called the Key Bar, and we didn't know how many people were going to show up. We thought like 50. We told them. They had like, we had one like USC banner hanging in there. The owner was a USC guy. 
and it was raining outside. We filled the bar. We had 200 people in there. They had like one or two bartenders. It was hard to get a drink because they had no idea there's maybe, and there was a line of 50 people outside in the rain waiting to get in. So that was the meetup we planned there, like literally like last minute. And like, I guess no one had anything to do. So they just, they were coming to our meetup and it was great. Uh, we had a fun time. It was just hard to get drinks and it was, it was hard to get around there. Like everyone's asking for pictures and we had a blast. It was a great, really good time. Um, the game wasn't as good for USC fans, but I think they had a great time at the meetup. So I don't think it's going to turn into that. But um, did you mention the owner was there? Oh yeah, the owner was at the key. Uh, no, at the dark horse, overhearing the story, and then Chris is like, "Hey, the the owner's here." And I was like, "I thought he meant the owner of the dark horse." It was like the owner of the key bar who had sold it or whatever. He doesn't own it anymore. But I I hadn't told that story for years, and the, I tell a story, and the owner happens to be there while I was going on. That was really weird. So it's really weird. Things happen at meetups. So let's do another one. Let's do it. We'll do a meetup. Well, there you go. Boom. I sold it. Locked it in. Closers. Close. Congratulations, Chris. Uh, our MVP YouTube uh, uh, Relic gave us context. He said, FYI, 40% close games are about the same as Oregon for the past few years for what it's worth. So we'll end on that. He ended up getting back to us with the statistics. Thank so you. Take that as you will. That's all we've got for you guys today. It was a chaotic game. It was a great college football game in the Coliseum. I'm sure it's going to be another good one in South Bend because every Notre Dame USC one is. This is going to be a matchup of two ranked teams. It's maybe lost a little bit of the shine that we thought coming into the season because USC is a, a weird 6-0 and and Notre Dame is 4-2. and But I'm sure it'll still be a good game. Chris and I will be out there in South Bend for our first USC Notre Dame games in South Bend. It'll be a fun time. And if we do have a meetup, we'll make sure to get that information out to you. We'll be back to you this week with instant analysis and practice recaps on Tuesday and Wednesday, the Tunnel Vision preview show on Thursday. And then after the Notre Dame game, we'll have another one of these recap shows. But Ryan, you want to tell them everything they've got to do on YouTube and wherever they're watching? Yeah, please uh, like and subscribe. Uh, we had I think 450 people or so watching us live on YouTube. We were live on Facebook. I know someone asked about that. And live on our uh, USC Football Twitter channel as well, or X channel, whatever it is. So thank you for doing that. Please go over to uscfootball.com. If you're not signed up yet, you can sign up for a buck. Go check it out. This is the home stretch, guys. This is where you want to be on there. All the content, all the excitement of what's going on. People come up to us at the tailgates and like, I, we can't even consume all the content you guys are putting up there. Don't let that discourage you, but there's a lot of stuff to choose from. A lot of shows, a lot of stories, a lot of analysis. Um, so if you want to really understand this team a little bit better, get over to uscfootball.com if you're not a subscriber and sign up today. Yeah, I feel like everyone, too, that's at work, you know, they're getting ready for the holiday season. They're they're starting to slack off a bit. They're ready to get that little bit of a break. You can use our content and, and pay attention to that instead of doing your actual job. If you want like to, you it. know, spend your time at work, you, you got the tabs in the computer, you're hiding from your boss. Make sure that tab is uscfootball.com and, and enjoy that as we enter the home stretch of this season. But six more games to go in the regular season for USC. They're basically all, you know, guaranteed to be banger games. And we're going to have previews and recaps and everything for you guys here. But anyways, for Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino, I'm Jack Smith. Thank you for watching Tunnel Vision, and we will see you guys next week. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.